the teachings of Enoch, out of the waters of Judah, 1 Nephi 21, Joseph Smith Translation, Genesis 17, 3-7, Book of Moses Insight, number 18. In this article, we digress from the direct discussion of Enoch's Sermon on the Ordinances to discuss the corresponding subject to the relationship between baptism, as revealed in the beginning to Adam and Eve, and the later institution of the Old Testament ordinance of circumcision through God's command to Abraham. A neglected passage in the Joseph Smith translation and an often criticized verse in the Book of Mormon give interesting insights on these topics. The relationship between baptism and circumcision. Male converts to Judaism in the Second Temple period were required to undergo both circumcision and ritual immersion, a baptism. Regarding the Jewish practice of proselyte baptism in the Second Temple period, Joni Taylor writes, When people converted from paganism to Judaism, there was an initial immersion known as proselyte baptism, designed to rid the body of ritual uncleanness. Gentiles were unclean and needed to be purified at the point of their entrance to Israel. Up until this point, they were not allowed into the temple proper on account of their uncleanness. It was noted that one who has become a proselyte is like a child newly born because of his or her participation in the community of Israel with the resulting new legal status. End of quote. Samuel Zinner describes the relationship between baptism and circumcision as being part of the context for the dialogue of Jesus and Nicodemus about the importance of being born again. Quote, it is perhaps not usually recognized that implicit in John 3's discussion of the new birth and baptism is the topic of circumcision. Early Christian theology understood baptism as a spiritual circumcision for Gentile adherents of the Jesus sect. Rabbinic sources also understood proselyte immersion as a new and spiritual birth. In John 3:4, Jesus' teaching on rebirth in the verse 3 naturally brings circumcision to Nicodemus' mind, so that in effect he asks, how can a male adult return to the state of infancy and be circumcised again? The rhetorical confusion in the discussion arises because Jesus is teaching that a circumcised Jewish male adult must be reborn spiritually. Nicodemus' thought is that Jewish males are already spiritually reborn from the time of their infant circumcision. Only Gentile proselytes stand in need of spiritual rebirth. In fact, Jesus is referring to John's baptism of repentance for Jews, and Jesus' imperative, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, alludes to the necessity of John's baptism of repentance and forms part of the background of John 3, 5's Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John the Baptist's and Jesus' baptismal teachings do not suggest that baptism replaces circumcision, but that it complements and perfects it. End of quote. Circumcision, Covenant, and Baptism in Antiquity and in the Joseph Smith Translation of the Bible. Consistent with the linkages between circumcision, covenant, and baptism suggested by Zinner are allusions to these subjects in antiquity and in Joseph Smith's translations of the Book of Mormon and the Bible. For example, consider Isaiah 48.1 as it is quoted in 1 Nephi 20.1. This gloss, a clarifying comment by Joseph Smith, first appeared in the 1840 edition of the Book of Mormon and has been cited by critics of the Book of Mormon as evidence that Joseph Smith did not know what he was doing when he made this change. Quote, Hearken and hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, or out of the waters of baptism, who swear by the name of the Lord, 
and make mention of the God of Israel, yet they swear not in truth nor in righteousness. The term waters within the phrase come forth out of the waters of Judah might be more plainly rendered as either seminal fluid or the amniotic fluid from the womb of Judah, a poetic reference to the waters as the source of life in the parental body out of which come those who stem from the lineage of Judah. Isaiah's imagery here reconstitutes an allusion to the Abrahamic covenant similar to one found uh, later on in the same Isaianic oracle, quote, Thy seed also had been as the sand, the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed before me, end of quote. Thus one might see the poetic symbolism of the loins in this imagery in this content, context as an allusion to circumcision, a bodily token of covenant that was not only made necessary for Abraham and his biological posterity, but also significantly something to which all those who had been adopted into his household were required to submit. Compare the multiple senses of seed used in Abraham 2, 9-11. Those that would be accounted Abraham's seeds, seed because they received the gospel, including baptism, seed as priesthood, and the literal seed, or the seed of the body. Building conceptually on the connection between circumcision and baptism for Jewish Christian converts argued by Zinner above, Joseph Smith's gloss, the disjunctive phrase, or, not and, out of the waters of baptism, extends Isaiah's reference to include Gentiles who could become part of the covenant Israel by adoption through proselyte baptism. This conceptual linkage is consistent with 3 Nephi 32. Turn all ye Gentiles from your wicked ways, and come unto me, and be baptized in my name, that ye may receive a remission of your sins, and be filled with the Holy Ghost, that ye may be numbered with my people who are of the house of Israel." End of quote. Going further, an even more pointed reference connecting the themes of circumcision and baptism can be found in the mention of the blood of Abel within the Joseph Smith translation of the book of Genesis. The previous neglect of this passage argues for a treatment here. The JST corrects mistaken beliefs about Abel's blood. Not only was baptism associated with circumcision in antiquity, but we find an unlikely interrelationship between baptism, circumcision, the martyrdom of Abel, accountability, and the Abrahamic covenant in Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible. As we will note below, JST Genesis 17, 3-7, includes the Lord's statement regarding the corruption of anointing, ablutions, including baptism, and blood sprinklings, and their distorted association with the martyrdom of Abel. This statement is much more significant than it may seem at first glance. The story of Abel has always been linked with the idea of proper sacrifice. Indeed, his name seems to be a deliberate pun on the richness of the sacrifice that he will make, in contrast to the stingy offering of Cain. And Abel, he also brought firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. Uh, and there's a pun there with the, the from the fatlings, the richest part of the herd. Not only does the Hebrew word heleb denote fat, but also the word umahelebeam contains within itself the name of Hebel, reversed, thus strengthening the pun. Remember also that in the book of Hebrews, with the shedding of Abel's blood, was seen as a type of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. With respect to his place among the biblical canon of martyrs, Victor Hamilton writes, Abel is coupled with Zechariah as the first and the last victims of murder mentioned in the Old Testament. 
Understandably, Abel is characterized as innocent, end of quote. The Joseph Smith translation of the Bible further direct details this idea, connecting the death of the righteous Abel to an anomalous ordinance for little children consisting of the sprinkling of blood coupled with washing that is denounced in Joseph Smith translation Genesis 17, 3-7, quote, And it came to pass that Abram fell on his face and called upon the name of the Lord. And God talked to him, saying, My people have gone astray from my precepts, and have not kept mine ordinances which I gave to their fathers. And they have not observed mine anointing, or the burial, and baptism wherewith I commanded them, but have turned from the commandment, and taken unto themselves the washing, or baptism of children, and the blood of sprinkling, and have said that the blood of the righteous Abel was shed for sins, and have not known wherein they are accountable before me. End of quote. To counteract this practice, we are told that the Lord established the covenant of circumcision at the age of eight days, quote, that thou mayest know forever that children are not accountable for before me till they are eight years old. D&C, Doctrine and Covenants 68, 25-28, received later in the same year that JST Genesis 17 was translated, also emphasizes that children are not accountable until eight years old. Hebrews 12.24 provides hints of an ancient practice similar to the one described in JST Genesis 17.3-7. It speaks of the saints coming, quote, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel, end of quote. To Craig Koester, this suggests the idea that, quote, Abel's blood brought about a limited atonement, while Jesus' blood brought a complete atonement, end of quote. With reference to Hebrews 11.4, Joseph Smith said that Abel, quote, holding still the keys of his dispensation, was sent down from heaven unto Paul to administer consoling words and to commit unto him a knowledge of the mysteries of godliness, end of quote. Significantly, early Christian and Islamic accounts preserve additional traditions related to the kinds of ancient practices alluded to in the Joseph Smith translation and Hebrews. In these accounts, the practice of swearing by the holy blood of Abel is portrayed in the context of efforts of the antediluvian patriarchs to dissuade their posterity from leaving the holy mountain to associate with the children of Cain. Serge Ruser interprets this as evidence for the existence of a group that looked to Abel rather than to Christ for salvation. He concludes that, quote, the emphasis here is on the salvific quality of Abel's blood, Swearing by Abel's blood is presented in our text as sufficient for the salvation as the sons of Seth. Those who dwell, thanks to swearing by Abel's blood, on the holy mountain do not need any further salvation. End of quote. The idea is remarkably similar to the expression in JST Genesis 17.7, quote, that the blood of the righteous Abel was shed for sins. End of quote. It is surely significant that, then, that, as part of the institution of the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, as part of the Abrahamic covenant, a rite that would, would be custom, customarily performed upon children, the Lord took pains to correct any false contemporary notions that Abraham himself may have shared regarding the salvific efficacy of anointings, ablutions, or washings, and blood sprinklings upon children. For accountable adults like Abraham himself and the male adults in his household, Circumcision and baptism were essential to keeping the commandments. Uh, compare Moses 6.60, by the water you keep the commandment. For unaccountable, underage children, baptism had no efficacy, 
In other words, it constituted a dead work. And circumcision anticipated a future covenant baptism. See more on this below. The conceptual dichotomy between the efficacy of ordinances for adults vis-a-vis -vis for children perhaps helps us better understand the dynamics of proselyte circumcision and baptism and the tradition that was had among Jews, presumably of the first century, quote, which saith that little children are unholy. Of course this belief was held primarily among Jews who did not believe in Jesus, but also must have been current among at least some Jews who did not believe in Jesus. The Lord's words to Abraham are consistent with the principle articulated in Doctrine and Covenants 74, 7, quote, but little children are holy, being sanctified through the atonement of Jesus Christ, and this is what the scriptures mean. The Anticipatory Nature of Circumcision As an example of how the ordinances function in an anticipatory way, note that the divine introduction of circumcision in the time of Abraham, perhaps roughly analogous to the ordinance of naming the blessing of little children in our day, was important not only in its own right, but also because it pointed forward to the ordinance of baptism. Remember that a primary reason for the institution of the practice of circumcision was, quote, that thou mayest know forever that children are not accountable before me till they are eight years old, end of quote. The blood shed in circumcision, whose mark remained in the child as a permanent sign in the flesh, could be understood as a symbol of arrested sacrifice that incited retrospective reflection on the universal salvation of little children through the blood of Christ's atonement. At the same time, the symbol of circumcision also implicitly facilitated a correct anticipatory understanding of the necessity of justification accomplished through the Spirit of Christ unto the remission of their sins that was meant to accompany the baptism of children when they reached the age of accountability. In brief, Circumcision anticipates the reality and articulated in Moses 6.60, by the blood ye are sanctified. In other words, by Christ's blood we are all sanctified, including little children. Conclusions In summary, the Joseph Smith translation's description of anomalous rituals, which combine the purported cleansing of little children by washing and the sprinkling of blood, with the erroneous idea that the blood of the righteous Abel was shed for sins, is supported by ample evidence from a variety of sources dating to at least the Second Temple period. As a figure associated anciently with sacrifice, baptism, and innocent martyrdom, it seems quite plausible that Abel could have attracted religious notions of this character. Additionally, the rationale for the institution of circumcision in the Joseph Smith translation is also consistent with Samuel Zinner's conclusion about the symbolic connection between circumcision and baptism in its New Testament context. Namely, the baptism of Jewish converts to Christianity was not meant to replace circumcision, but rather that it complements and perfects it." End of quote. Going further, the prophet's gloss of Isaiah 48.1, as it is quoted in 1 Nephi 21, is a reasonable extension of this verse that addresses the situation of Gentiles, who are not literally the seed of Abraham, but who could become part of the covenant of Israel by adoption through proselyte baptism. And of course, all this provides additional context to the discussion of washing and baptism in the book of Moses. More generally, these arguments further demonstrate the fruitful yield of insights that result from careful examination of Joseph Smith's readings of biblical verses against the backdrop of the ancient world, a cautionary tale when readers might otherwise be tempted to hastily dismiss such revisions and glosses as naive and unsubstantiated. 
we are confident that future analysis and textual discoveries will continue to highlight remarkable aspects of antiquity in modern scripture that still remain hidden to us. In subsequent insights, we turn our attention back to the teachings of Enoch.